Welcome to the official podcast of Apostolic Lighthouse. We'd like to thank you for listening today. We pray this message blesses you and encourages you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. We're continuing on. It's great to have everybody tonight. And it's good to have James with us. God bless him. Amen. We're continuing on with our series, Love Like That. And the that is how Jesus loved. And we want to love like he loved. And uh, this lesson is uh, entitled, Love Like That, Approachable. Jesus was approachable. Amen. Remember, last week we talked about being mindful. And this week, uh, we're going to talk about being approachable. That's so important. And we've got a couple of verses that we're just going to read, portions of a couple of verses just to kind of start off. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. the first three words Jesus said, come unto me. He was approachable. Come on over. Come unto me. John six thirty-seven. The ones who come to me, uh, the one who comes to me, I will never send away. So Jesus was approachable. The Pharisees weren't always approachable. Some of the scribes weren't always approachable. The Sadducees weren't always approachable. The Levites, some of the Levites, some of the uh, the priests, they weren't always approachable. They were too busy. You know, we know the parables of the. Uh, good Samaritan, they just walked on by, they weren't helpful, they weren't approachable, but Jesus was, to a fault even, as far as in the eyes of some of these other people that thought he shouldn't be rubbing shoulders with certain people. I want to give a few uh, scriptures out for those that would like to read. Uh, On this side, who'd like to read? Just raise your hand, I'll give you a verse. Okay, Arlene, Acts 2.42. And Renee, let's see, 1 Peter 5, 5, 1 Peter 5, 5, Vanessa, Luke 15, 1 and 2, Luke 15, 1 and 2, who else had a hand up? Terry, Matthew 5, 44, Terry and Mary, Luke 6, 35 through 38, and that should do it for the scriptures for now. I think for the whole thing, actually. So being approachable, very important. You know, people are really sensitive to feeling ignored. When you think about it, there's a desire in each of us to be welcomed. Welcomed, you know, can I be part of you? I remember when I was, you know, know, trying to play a basketball game, you know, get, get in a game or whatever when we were kids and, There'd be, you know, 20 guys on the sidelines and, you know, then we'd pick two captains and each, each guy would be picking their favorite guys. And it was like, oh, 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 you know, I, I want to belong. I, I want to be, I want to be welcome. I want to be part of the group because it's just, it's built into us to be part of the group, to be welcome. Amen. To be included. Um, Purdue University, they... Uh, they did a little test, and it was called Cyberball, and it was basically they took three people, and they put them. They weren't even in the same room. They put three people on a on a online computer game, and it was simply like playing catch, basically, 
you know, uh, on this game. It was very simple. And without, uh, without knowing it, one of the three people, he was like really in the dark and he thought he was just being a part of this, oh, I'm going to play, play catch with these guys on this little game. And two of the three were part of the, the experiment. And they basically, um, they all started tossing the ball back to each other and everybody was playing nice. You know, everybody had their turn. And then the two that were, you know, in cahoots with the whole experimenter, they, when they got the ball, they were just passing it back and forth to, them, to themselves. And then the, the one person was, you know, just like, hmm. You know, like the old Pong game or whatever back in the 70s. And they just, uh, he, you know, just watching. And he started feeling excluded. He started feeling left out. You know, and, you know, the results were really surprising because could being left out of a simple game like that cause any emotional difference to happen in people? Yeah, maybe not everybody, but some people started feeling, you know, left out. They started feeling bad about the situation. And, you know, and they came, they did this study. It only took a couple minutes and um, very simple, but they realized that the same two areas of our brain that become active when we're suffering physical pain, those same two areas become active when we're excluded, even from a simple online game of sharing the ball. Those same two things happen. We start, like, things start like, happening. We start getting, well, that doesn't feel, that's not nice. I don't feel included here. And then, then that's just a simple game. Now, now you can imagine, now, how about suffering greatly uh, in real-world rejection with actual people, then it really gets amplified. Amen. So psychologists, they refer to our need to be included as an affiliation drive. We we need to be affiliated with people. We need to rub shoulders with people. We need to feel like we're included, like, you know, we're accepted. Amen. Other people just call it fellowship. You know, that's a a familiar word. That's a, a kind of a Bible word. Or connecting. Read Acts 2.42. And they, when the early church, when the church was born, and the day of Pentecost, chapter 2, after Peter preached and the whole thing, uh, the Bible said they continued steadfastly in several things, and one of them was fellowship, because it was that important. Fellowship was right up there with prayer, breaking bread, and the apostles' doctrine as the key, you know, foundational, you know, things that, People, you know, relied on in the early church to get it off the ground. Fellowship was right up there with, with, doctrine, with apostolic doctrine and with prayer. And that's how important it is to feel like we're part. Amen. So no matter what you call it, everyone agrees that we all were born with a, with a really strong yearning of an inner need to be included. You know, and this condition affects, you know, you say, well, that's maybe with people with low self-esteem or, you know, people that uh, have inferiority complexes. Oh, no, it's not just with those people. It's with everybody to some degree or another. Amen. No one is too big, strong, talented, or tough not to feel left out at some point. Amen. We want to belong. You know, it, it, it reminds me of, you know, back in the uh, early uh, days of, of mankind in Genesis, uh, you know, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, and remember Cain and Abel had, had, had to take, give an offering to the Lord, 
Cain's offering was rejected. Abel's was accepted. Cain got very upset, and his, 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 uh, his anger turned to jealousy, and he took his brother's life. And then God said, hey, where's your brother? And he goes, hey, it's not my day to watch him, basically in modern-day English. Uh, so I'm not my brother's keeper. And he said, his blood is crying from the ground. And then God's punishment to Cain, you know, it wasn't, you know, a death sentence. It wasn't whatever, you know. In fact, Cain probably wished it was because he, he said, a fugitive and a vagabond, you're going to be on the earth from now on. You've got you to gotta leave the group and you've got to go over there, you know, somewhere out somewhere and kind of start over and just because of what you did. And, you know, he said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. I, I, I can't belong anymore. So what's the, what's the purpose of living, he was saying. So that's how important, that's how strong it is uh, that we have in our lives to want to belong. Amen. And, you know, uh, people will actually go to great lengths to not be left out. There was another experiment that was, was done with eight participants. And this time, like the last one, seven of the participants were really, you know, in on the gig. And one of them was just like, yeah, this is nice, you know, just didn't know what was happening. They're all in this little room, sitting around a table, and uh, the experimenter, you know, and, and, and this one person is thinking all these other seven people are, you know, just like me, we're just in here. Seeing what's happening. So this experimenter, he puts two cards down on the table. One has one line, you know, with nothing else on it. And the other one has three lines with A, B, or C. And, and basically, uh, you know, he, he told, you know, he would go, you know, one at a time. Hey, uh, which line on the A, B, and C card is, looks exactly like, as far as the length, the line on the other card. And, you know, they'd go around and they'd all say B. And they oh, yeah, you're all right, or whatever. And then they would get to where the seven, you know, uh, got together and they knew at some point they were going to pick a different letter uh, and all agree. And this one person was going to pick the right answer. And uh, did you know that people will, after a while, say, well, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Okay, yeah, it is C or something. And they will actually pick the wrong one because they want to belong. Amen. And that's interesting. You know, what, what would you do? Go along with the majority opinion or trust your own eyes? This, this was a classic experiment that was first done in 1951. It's been duplicated countless times since then. And did you know that 75% of all participants go along with the rest of the group at least once when they're all wrong. It's like, oh, you know. Maybe it's kind of like being on, you know, jury deliberations. Like, you know, okay, yeah, he's not guilty. I just want to go home and eat, you know, or something like that. But then some people stand up and say, bless God, that guy's God. I'm going to be the only one or whatever. So, you know, it's something like that. But, but you know, 75%, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, you know, it, knowing that it doesn't make sense with your mind and you know that doesn't look right, uh, but they still agree with their peers just to be included. That's, that's the, the power of, of this, you know, thing that's built into us. You know why? Because we don't want to be left out. We want to belong. We long to belong. Jesus understood this fact about people and he was probably the most approachable person that ever lived. And so... 
Let's look into the approachability of Jesus. Jesus made himself accessible to anyone who felt undesirable or unwanted. Just think of it. Who came to Jesus? Lepers came to Jesus. And you know, lepers, even today, there's still some leper... Lepers in certain parts of the world, and they, they, they have to, you know, they get off in their own, like, colony because people uh, don't want to be around them. You know, they're, mis- they're, they're misunderstood, they're whatever. And, you know, back in those days, a leper would have to wear a certain garment. They would have to, if they walked anywhere near other people, they would have to say, unclean, unclean, un-. So everybody would grab the kids and, like, you know, or whatever. I mean, that's just the way it was. It's sad. But you know what? Jesus touched lepers. Jesus healed lepers, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, they'd come, tax collectors, which were, you know, right down, right right up there with defense attorneys and, uh, you know, uh, who, whoever the popular people that we have around here, uh, you know, they're, uh, they came to Jesus, like we talked about Zacchaeus recently, the poor came to him, the persecuted came to him, the pagans came to him, and just in general, sinners came to him, and he was approachable. He didn't say, oh, get out of here. You're not good enough for me. No, he just, he welcomed them all. He said, come unto me. Come on up. Amen. He's, he was definitely not like other religious leaders of the day who operated on the principle of exclusion and isolation. You know, and this is best exemplified when Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's house named Simon for dinner. And so he's at this, and, and this Pharisee, Really, these Pharisees, uh, he, he wasn't a friend to Simon. And Simon was probably trying to trip him up, trying to, you know, embarrass him in front of, you know, some of these other people because he invited all these other people to his house. And uh, Simon did not provide Jesus with the customary means to what they did back then when you had a guest in your house because everybody was walking around in sandals to have some, somehow a means to wash your feet and, you know, come in the house. Another custom of the day was to greet your guests with a kiss on the cheek and even an, an anoint their head with oil. This was all just custom back then. And none of that was given to Jesus when he came into Simon's house. So sometime after dinner, they're just sitting there or whatever. And here comes a woman up to Jesus and she was a woman of ill repute. She was a harlot. She actually had, uh, you know, seven demons recently cast out of her by Jesus. And how she got in the house of this prominent religious leader, who knows? But somehow she got in there and she did to Jesus what this Simon guy should have done. And Jesus didn't, you know, and everyone said, hey, do you know who she is? You know, you're, you know who's touching you? And she just came in weeping. She came in humble. She, you know, she, uh, and he didn't wash uh, Jesus' feet. She washed her, his feet with her tears and dried it with her hair. And she took an alabaster box of precious ointment and anointed his head, you know, and, and all of that was kind of supposed to be done. Uh, and so, you know, her name, you've heard her name, Mary Magdalene. And she was a person that was grateful for what Jesus had done for her. And, you know, so Jesus then went on, went on to tell, you know, you know, and then people started thinking in their mind, if this man, you know, was a prophet or was, you know, perceptive, he would know what kind of woman is touching him right now. He would say, get lost, lady. You know, don't you know I'm in front of all these important people? And, 
And uh, he, he knew. And so he said, Simon, I've got to tell you something. He goes, okay. He said, I came in your house. You didn't give me anything to wash my feet. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't anoint my head with oil. But this woman has cried, has wiped my feet with her, head, with her hair. She's anointed my head. She did what you were supposed to do. And, and she, she who was forgiven much, she loved much. Amen. He was approachable. Amen. And so a, a man named Helmut Feichel uh, said, Jesus was, about, uh, was able to love because he loved right through the layer of mud. You know, we're just glorified mud balls. We're, we're the dust of the earth. And he, he sees through that, that outward layer into our hearts. And he sees our need. And we're approachable. He's approachable uh, for us. Amen. Jesus made himself available and approachable to everyone. Rich or poor, schooled or unschooled, healthy or sick. People crowded around him just to touch him, and he allowed it. Parents brought kids to Jesus so he could bless them. Even the disciples said, get these kids out of here. They're not important. And Jesus said, suffer the little children. Better let them come to me. I'm approachable. If such is the kingdom of God. He made sinners, sinners feel comfortable, which made pious people feel uncomfortable. Amen. And, oh well, when you're pleasing God, some people don't like it. Relationships superseded rules for Jesus. Love trumped the law with Jesus. Jesus didn't allow his experience of exclusion or rejection by others to cause him to treat people that way. Because look at, he was ridiculed. He was, you know, uh, there was all kinds of things happened before he even suffered what he suffered before his crucifixion. And, uh, you know, the Bible said he was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin. You know, and he... He's able to understand us and and know what we're going through because he also went through many things. But he didn't let those things taint him or make him, you know, uh, calloused for, you know, for other people. Well, other people weren't approachable to me, so I'm not going to be approached, let other people approach me. Now, Jesus said, you know, I don't care what other people do. I'm going to do what I know I'm supposed to do. His own neighbors laughed at him. His family questioned his sanity. You read about that one time when his own family came to collect him and said, hey, well, let's go home. We're going to give you a warm glass of milk and tuck you in and, you know, keep you off the streets because you got some kind of like, you're, 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 you're beside himself. That's what they said. His closest friends betrayed him. His own countrymen betrayed him and turned him over to the Romans. Amen. But on the contrary, it made him even more approachable. Jesus went out of his way to embrace the unloved and the unworthy. Now, the word approachable is defined as being accessible, easy to understand, friendly, and open. Remember, the Bible said, he that hath friends must show himself friendly. So if you want to have friends, if you want people to approach you, you got to be approachable. Amen. Now, some people, before they even talk, you know that they're not approachable. Like, you know, like, I'd rather go get in a cage with a, a lion and a few snakes and something else, a big old bear with a sore tooth, before I'm going to go talk to that person. Right? I mean, seriously. Uh, there's a, there's a, a lady I've worked with for years, and, you know, you, you don't even really approach her until, like, after, like, 12 noon. Like, when she comes in the morning, she's like, hey, morning, Rrr. you know, it's like, whoa. But she gets all fired up when you're ready to go home, 
she's, she's wanting to you know, have meetings till you know five o'clock, six o'clock at night. It's like, oh no, I'm out now. But she's not approachable a lot of times. She's gotten a little softer in her old age, but uh, you know, but she still can be a little crusty. But you know, but Jesus still loves her. Amen. Praise God. He's seeing through that crust and sees that heart. Amen. So the best way to define approachable is with really a simple smile. You know, you can, that's how you can know that, hey, I can, can I come a little closer? Uh, you know, okay, no, never mind. You know, like, hey, how you doing? You know, smile's universal. Everybody knows what it is. It's really uh, something that defines the, you know, the simple, the simple definition of, of approachable. It lets others know that it's okay to approach. Your head will not be bitten off. Come on in. It disarms people. It lowers their dis- de- defenses when you smile. And it doesn't cost you anything. And, you, and usually your face gets a little rest because you, you take like 40 muscles to frown and only about, I think, 9 or 10 to smile. So you're actually giving your face a rest. That's why that little smile a while and give your face a rest, that song, whatever. Um, you know, so why frown? I mean, why are you doing, why, you know, I don't know, when I get home from work, I don't want to frown because I've already, you know, it's like having a workout after you get off from work, 40 muscles, man, I can't do that, I'll just smile and rest, just go to sleep. <laughs> Amen. So what keeps us from being approachable? Well, one thing is being a snob. I know no one here is like that, but you know, we know some snobs out there, somewhere on this earth, there's snobs, you know. Uh, and you know what's a snob? It's somebody that views certain people as inferior to yourself. You know, snobs. You know, sometimes they, you know, they just they look uh, they kind of look up and down at the same time. I don't know how they do that, but uh, they shouldn't live anywhere where it rains a lot because they might drown because their nose is up so much. <laughs> but the you know the single biggest barrier to being approachable is pride. Pride can really shut down approachability. Pride's all about being exclusive and not inclusive. And the cure to unhealthy pride, because there is a healthy pride, but there's unhealthy pride. And the cure to unhealthy pride is none other than the opposite of pride, which is humility. Amen. You know, a humble person is an approachable person. You know, you, you, can, you can come to them. Amen. John R.W. Scott said, Pride is our greatest enemy and humility, our greatest friend. God meets us in places where we are humble. Read 1 Peter 5, 5. So be clothed with humility. God resists the proud. You know, he pushes up against it. God, God doesn't like to approach the proud. But he'll, he'll, he'll give grace. He'll come to the humble. That's important. Now, there is a healthy pride, you know, like when you're proud of you know, of, of some work you've done or, you know, when we're proud of our kids. You know, those are okay kinds of pride. Uh, but, you know, there's unhealthy pride, which is like a bloated ego or an arrogant attitude, you know, uh, or even one of the worst kinds of pride is spiritual pride. You know, like a holier-than-thou attitude where, where you know, because, because none of, no Christian or a believer in God should have any kind of spiritual pride because with, by the grace of God, we are who we are. Amen. And we never should be too far from the cross. We never should be too far from 
you know, and we should always be able to look back from the, the pit where he digged us out of and say, you know what, but for God, I'd still be there. Amen. And so I don't, I don't want to be, have that unhealthy pride because God resists it. And if that means God resists it, that means God's not going to want to be near it. And I need God to be near me. Amen. I got to keep the pipeline open, you know, and the communication. John Flavel said, They that know God will be humble. They that know themselves cannot be proud. If we really know who we are, we can't be proud because, you know, we know that God is the one that's really given us everything we have. Read Luke 15, verse 1 and 2. So here, here we go. Here, Jesus being approachable, the tax collectors and the sinners came to him to hear him, and then he even sat down and ate with them. And, you know, and I guess the Pharisees, you know, they only eat with, you know, what they consider nice people or whatever. So they're off over there just eating with themselves, I guess. And, uh, and they, 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 you know, they were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, they, so they didn't like Jesus' open-door policy of approachability. But that's what the people loved about him because they couldn't go to them. You know, those guys were all pompous and thought they were all that. Amen. So how approachable are you? Because we know that Jesus is approachable and we are disciples of his. So how approachable are we? Because we're supposed to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, a witness of salvation and God's transforming power. So how, how you rate yourself in regards to the following statements. I'm going I'm to read ten statements. And I just want you to kind of grade yourself as I'm reading these. You know, we won't be going around and asking how you did and all that stuff. Uh, so it's all anonymous, but just so you can kind of see where, where we're at. Because uh, basically, uh, based on the statement, you're, at, you're in your mind, you're saying, that's never me, or that's rarely me, or that's sometimes me, or that's often me, or that's very often me. Okay? So the first statement is, I, I am known to be more inclusive than exclusive. So anywhere from never to very often. Second one is, I welcome people with differing ideas or political viewpoints. You voted that way? Right? I know that doesn't happen in today's climate. I'll move on. Um, the third one, I lean into humility far more than I lean into pride. The fourth one, I absolutely detest the idea of looking down on others or being snobbish. Number five, I want to include anyone who looks to be left out or feels rejected. The next one, I'm known by my friends as someone who reaches out to undesirable people. The next one, I intentionally do not size people up by their clothes or their appearance. The next one, I intentionally work at being less self-centered and not feeling superior to others. The, The ninth one, I'm the first to make sure someone in a social setting feels accepted and included. You know, you see somebody over in the corner at some gathering or birthday party, you know, you go sit to them, you know, bring them a little punch and, hey, how you doing? What's your name? You know, 
the last one, I work diligently to love my enemies, the people, or which are the people that make my life difficult. Never, all the way to very often. So just tally up, let's say 10, okay. So, you know, how many nevers? How many very oftens? How many in between? Do the average. And that's just between you and God. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> but at least it gets us thinking, like, you know, I think we always know we have things to work on in our lives, right? For is God's always wanting us to be better people. Uh, and that's what biblical perfection is. It's not like the world thinks it's perfect. Biblical perfection is just, you know, just going toward Jesus, trying to do better every day. Sometimes we take two steps backwards and one step forward, and we got to, you know, make some adjustments or whatever. But uh, that's what we're talking about. So what Jesus taught us about being approachable is very important. You know, the, the parable of the prodigal son, you know, the word prodigal means wasteful. So the prodigal son was wasteful. And he did something that really was frowned upon back in those days, probably these days too, you know. So, because usually you don't get your inheritance until your father passes away. But he went to his father when he was alive and said, hey, I want my cut of the inheritance right now. And for, surprisingly, the father gave it to him. Maybe as a test, who knows. But that was frowned upon back in those days. Amen. Uh, you know, it was a disgrace, in fact, to, to ask for your inheritance while your father was still living. But the father gave it to him and allowed him to, uh, to approach. And he gave it to him. And then he, we know the story. He went to a far land. He wasted it with riotous living and ended up just really in, 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 you know, down, down and out in his life. But the story illustrates more uh, more profound truth than than that Jesus you know love that was for anyone, regardless of what laws that had been broken or sins had been committed. Jesus overwhelmingly approach was approachable because it was the very essence of his love. So, you know, the father didn't go after the son because you know there's all different ways of being lost, right? Because that same chapter 15 talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a prodigal son. All different ways of people being lost. And um, the sheep you go after because he knows he's lost, but he can't get back. So the shepherd went after the sheep. The coin you go after because the coin's in the house, and it doesn't even know it's in there. It doesn't even know it's lost. And it's kind of like, I need someone to find me because I'm, you know, between that cushion and the couch. And, and so the lady, you know lit a light and got the broom and moved the furniture and she found the coin. But the father didn't go after the prodigal son because some people need to come to themselves. Some people, you can talk to your blue in the face and they're not going to budge. Some people, God needs to put them, get, let them get in that spiritual pig pen like he was and then he came to himself and he headed back. And that father came running after him, which is uncharacteristic uh, you know, of a situation. But I think he wanted to make sure because of that, you know, everyone knew that he had asked for his inheritance, that the people of the town would shun him, even his own family members. His brother was mad at him already, but the father wanted to accept him back. The father was approachable even after what the son did to him. That just shows you the love of God right there. Amen. So regardless of the laws that some people break or the sins that are committed, you know, if you'll come to him, and you'll give him your life, he can work it out. You know, where sin abounds, the Bible said, grace does much more abound. Amen. 
So Jesus did not come to condemn and reject, but to love and forgive and accept. So how can we be more approachable? If you want to love like you like like Jesus loved, you got to be approachable. You know that's that's the bottom line. So the first thing you do cannot be to size a person up, determine if they're deserving, see if they meet your rigorous standards, and then okay, you may approach the throne. No. That's not how you do it. The first thing we should do for all people is to show them love. Amen. All people, show them love. That might not be your best friend. You might not, you know, allow them to freely open your refrigerator door and stick their head in there and rubbage around in there. That's, that's reserved for only really good friends usually. You know, you might not allow that, but, you know, we got to love people. And if you want to love like Jesus, you can't be exclusive. Read Matthew 5, 44. So that's the ultimate approachability. Love your enemies. Let them approach and bless them. You know, those that curse, do good. So love them, bless them, and pray for them. That's perhaps our greatest challenge in regards to approachability is de- dealing with enemies, the people that, are, that make our lives the most difficult. And it's the one thing, you know, it's one thing, you know, to love your neighbor, you know, your friends, your family, or even strangers, but, but enemies... That's a different story. That's a, that's a hard one. That's why you need God's love. But we got to bless, we got to do good, and we got to pray. Lots of prayers. C.S. Lewis said, prayer doesn't change God. It moves God on our behalf, but it doesn't change Him, but it sure changes me. And a lot of times I'm praying for somebody else, but, you know, I get changed in prayer. Amen. A lot of times, you know, there's many in the Bible that have come up from a prayer meeting different, you know. Jacob wrestled with the angel. It wasn't necessarily a prayer meeting, but it was a type of, uh, of a struggle with God, and he came up a different man. And, uh, you know, several things. Daniel came up a 21-day fast and prayer and came out with a revelation of the people getting out of Babylon. So prayer can change me. That's what it needs to happen. Amen. So ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then take the initiative and do it for them. That's the golden rule. That's the second commandment. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Read our last verse uh, passage, Luke 6, 35 through 38. Amen. So love your enemies. Do good. You know, be merciful. Don't judge. Uh, don't condemn. Forgive and give. That's, that's an approachable person's attitude. Wilson uh, Kanata said, those who judge will never understand, and those who understand will never judge. When, we, when you love like that, like Jesus loved, feelings of superiority will fade away, and our days will be filled with spontaneous acts of compassion, generosity, and kindness, because we'll be looking at things differently. We have an entirely different outlook when, when we start uh, loving like Jesus and being approachable. We become more accessible to those who sometimes feel left out and they have nowhere else to go, they'll, they'll see that, you know, there, there's a friendliness in your life. Amen. And what, what can we do with that? We can lead them right to Jesus. Amen. Show them the way, the truth, and the life. Praise God. God bless you. Let's stand. What an incredible message. Thank you again for joining us on the podcast. And may God bless you.